There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the TomBernardShow.com, brought to you by Bradshaw and Bryant. Who, Who me? me? <laughs> Well, I'd like to know if I was married to a whore piece of shit. (laughs) You could just look at her license. My. Her special stripe. That was amazing. Oh my gosh. Coming by sweet corn, potatoes, onions, pickles. It's not how you use them, sir. (laughs) It's really sickening that anybody would be into radio this much. It is ungoddamn believable. I think I'm going to hell. I just realized it. Thank you, Tom. You're just delicious. This is why I drink. We're here today with Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant. Michael, what's going on? You know, we keep getting phone calls, and it's interesting because people try to handle a lot of stuff on their own, or they try to talk to the adjusters, or they wait, um, and they think maybe it'll cost them money if they talk to me. And, you know, we tell them it's free to talk to us. Um, I go through what their rights are and, you know, we try to help them as best we can. We don't sign everyone up. Sometimes I just give them advice and they go from there and then call us back later. But the key is, is that they don't know all their rights or they're not told all their rights by the adjuster. And that's one of the things we try to make sure that they get, you know, they get that understanding, uh, so they can help themselves and their families the best they can. And the number is? Is 800-770-7008. Or at the website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Brad, Sean, Bryant, Michael Bryant, thank you. Seeking justice for the injured. Brad, Sean, Bryant. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. Brought to you by Brad, Sean, Bryant. Kicking off the show this week, we have, first of all, we have a Royal Rumble of an episode. Kicking off the show, we're going to go with, uh, well, we're opening up the vault first of all. And we're going back to episode 583 with Greg Gagne. Next! Really, a little Richard Gear, Deborah Harry, American Gigolo, Call Me. <laughs> I love this song. I, I really do. I actually like that movie, and I don't know why, to tell you the truth, I like that movie, but I do. 
We had the original American Gigolo, you know. Who was that? Ric Flair. Oh, that's true. Yeah, the, <laughs> the original American Gigolo. I, I think he did better than uh, Wilt did. Oh, God, Wilt. He, he buying that 20000 You know, I was, uh, Jim and I come back, we came back from... Uh, from Japan, yeah, we had to make a we had a wrestle uh, in Hawaii, and uh, it was on a Wednesday, uh, so we get in Tuesday night, and we had to fly out. They put us on early to fly out to Winnipeg so we could make it by Thursday night, and they had us over to this bar next to the hotel, in a big room in the back, glass windows, and there was some fantastic talent in there that yeah. night, even though we weren't looking. Yeah, you weren't. No, of course not. And uh, Wilt was there. <clears throat> Oh, Wilt was there. He was there, and we got to spend some time with him. Not much, because he would he would uh, he would look over at uh, uh, some talent and walk out the door most of the time with two at a time, sometimes three. And this guy is how old at the time? Oh God, I don't know what he he was probably in his mid to late forties. Mid to late forties, I would think. Just still hitting the home run. Oh my God, they were walking out two at a time with him. Then he'd be gone for 45 minutes, and I would come back, and he'd be there for about 10 minutes and a couple <laughs> more. Out again. And he did this all night. We, we stayed there till about 3 in the morning. Just so watching it might this. be true. Yeah, it might be true. 20,000 might yeah. be true. Before the blue pill. Yeah. Guys, there's, a, there's the man. Yeah. We never needed it back then. Oh, yeah, I suppose <laughs> not. The real man, the real man. The real man I, I, didn't I, I, need no. that. Yes, the real man. Not in the ring. No, no, you don't. <laughs> oh, God. We're all distant runners, you know. We were in shape. <laughs> Is that what it was? Uh, 15 seconds or so. You yeah, know. <laughs> distance. A lot of distance going on. So what are you up to these days, man? Well, uh, working on a project, uh, uh, you know, about the last couple of years, a reality show with legendary athletes. Uh, in a in a setting, a casual setting, in a speakeasy that David Brooks owns over yeah, in St. Paul, and um, hopefully, uh, with your participation, we're going to get this off the ground. And uh, is David going to be there? David will be there because I I'm a member of that club, but I, know. I don't I don't have my key anymore. We'll get you. No. <laughs> I got to get a new key from because I st- I have a locker and I I don't know if I want to open that locker <laughs> because there's a one or two boxes of cigars that have been in there for about five years. I'm sure the guys got to him by now. Well, Maybe I hope not. so. There's, there were also was about a case of wine in there. Perfect. Well, we're going to bring another case down there, so we're going to have everybody loosened up. So it's going to we're going to shoot it on Sunday. We'll shoot it on Sunday. Uh, sending it out to California to a company out there, uh, Craig Shoemaker. He's a comedian, stand-up comedian, right. writer. Very good. And his partner, Nancy Mills, and she currently has 15 shows on TV. And that is unbelievable. Yeah. Do you know some of the shows she has? A tank, Shark oh, yeah. Tank is one of them. Shark Tank, I think that's the big one. That's a big one. Yeah, that, that show's huge. Yeah, she's done. Uh, she's done very well. So she wants to see uh, some footage, see the characters, right? Put it together, and <clears throat> then if it's good, they'll shoot a sizzle reel, and she'll pitch it for us. That's a great idea. You've been working on this for a long time. A long time, three years with it, you know. But it's so hard, Tom, as you know, to get into Hollywood if you don't have that connection or the right person. Right. Uh, I know this is a good concept. Uh, I've been around the people. And fans of all sports want to be that fly on the wall that gets those inside stories that they've never heard about the athletes. Right. You know, and it's not, the, it's not what happened on the field. It's things that... Happen on the road, <laughs> in the locker room. Hey, you know, after the, the locker room. 
Brunzel was just in there a couple of weeks ago, uh-huh. Jim. He's just a great guy. He was talking about Mad Dog. Yeah. I mean, the behind-the-scenes stuff was just amazing. He told you the airplane story. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was the most bizarre plane ride I've ever been on in my life. No, he, he said uppers, downers, there was everything. But He but, had everything in him. But this guy didn't know the other guy had given the downers or the uppers or what. Uh, well, he was. He we're, didn't know. We were, fly, we were flying to, to, to Omaha. And uh, he liked to play cribbage, and he was sitting across the aisle from me, and the seven passengers, all we could take with the, the, the wrestlers. And he leaned over and he says, Greg, will you do me a favor tonight? And I said, well, what's that, Mad Dog? <laughs> he says, I want to wrestle early. I am meeting my wife's fi- or my wife to be her fiancé, her family. So I said, sure. So we get there, and he's hurt, and he's about 50 years old at the time. And uh Somebody had gave him a pain pill. Yeah, right. That's how the whole day started. That's how it started. Right. So a mad dog, once in a while, liked to drink a pint of whiskey before he went in the ring. <laughs> so whoever gave him this Vicodin, he chugged it down with the, uh, with the pint of whiskey. With the whiskey. So he goes on the second match, and, geez, he wasn't out in the ring, but four or five minutes he came back, beat the hell out of this poor kid, and he's sitting there. And I said, what happened? I destroyed the kid. I have to get to this dinner tonight. So Joe Dusick, the promoter, always had two cases of beer in the locker room. So he's had the Vicodin, pint of whiskey, and now he starts drinking some beer. So we're sitting there, and it goes a couple more matches, and there's an intermission, and then we're wrestling that night, and he's still there. And I said, Mad Dog, don't you need to get going? I'll go when I want to go. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you know? I'll go when so, I want to go. Okay. So we backed off. So we went out. We wrestled for about 45 minutes. There was an intermission in between that. We came in to get a cold beer. Nothing's left. Two cases. He cashed two cases I don't of know beer. Did, but him and a couple of guys did. So we went to the airport. And we get to the airport. And a cab pulls up. And here comes Mad Dog. He gets out. And he's wobbly. <laughs> Right, and he's got a T-shirt on. He's got barbecue sauce dripping from his beard and on his T-shirt. And Steve Olsonowski is with him. And I said, Steve, what happened? He said, Well, we went to dinner, and we he drank wine. He drank beer, then he drank wine, and then we stopped, and he had to get another pint of whiskey before he got on the plane. Oh my God! So he he was drinking that in the cab. So he was getting kind of wild. So I handed him a joint. Thinking this would calm him down. He's got it all going now. <laughs> That's right. Hey, now, Dr. Bash, if you're comments at anything. Before. Yeah. <laughs> so, this, so, this is, so it's really like a pharmacy when you. Oh, my God. Yeah, oh, got, yeah there's, I, I'll tell you another story here in a minute. But You need a pharmacist to, to go along oh, with you. Don't give him that joint. Give him this. Oh, Christ. Would calm they him down. Some dandies. So they get on the plane, and we put Mad Dog in the back seat. So he's pissed off because he can't play cribbage. And he's sitting next to Adrian Adonis, who he doesn't like that well. Adrian Adonis, there's a name. Oh, and Mad Dog is—I don't know what he was saying to uh, to, to uh, Adrian, but all of a sudden, we're playing cards, and the plane goes boom, and the whole back end moves. Oh, and we all ducked. We thought another plane hit us. Oh God. So we finally, as we look up, the pilots, what the fuck's going on back there? <clears throat> and here's Mad Dog standing. All you can see is his back outside. He had opened the door. <laughs> now, this so plane's at 7,000 feet. Yeah, we're at 6,500 6, 6, feet. 6,500 feet. He says, I feel like flying tonight. <laughs> and the pilot says, get him back in. We said, well, I think he's going to jump, and we're not going with him. 
Now, Jim said he already threw a suitcase out. Now he starts that. He gets Oh, it's afterward. Okay. He gets wild like this. And he opens up his wrestling bag and he throws out his wrestling boots, his tight, his jock strap. Everything goes out. And then empty beer case. Everything that was not attached went out the door. And then the pilot told us it was the only plane built that had chains on it. To hold the stairs, otherwise they'd have blown off, hit the tail, and we'd have gone right down. Oh, yeah. So Mad Dog takes the chain that's holding the window up, ties it around his neck, and he's hanging out there backwards. Oh, it's so peaceful, I feel like flying. So the pilot's yelling at us to get him in. He says, we got to make an emergency landing. So we're going into Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and we see Ozark Airlines run way down here, two planes held. Police cars, ambulances, fire engines all lined up, and they foamed our runway. Oh, my God. And the pilot says, guys, prepare for crash landing. He said, I don't know if that door is going to catch or not. i got to put it down on one wheel. And Brent uh, Winger was our pilot, a Northwest pilot, and he took that thing in, and, boy, it just set us down. And we came to a stop, and here comes the police and the ambulances and the fire engines. And we turn around, and all this foam had come in the back. And Mad Dog's got it all over him. (laughs) (laughs) And out of the the plane he gets, and he takes off walking across the runways that now they're releasing the Ozark planes. He's walking in front of active planes. So the police come, and they say, hey, go get him. (laughs) You go get him. He's out of his mind. He opened the door up there. So we ran out there, and as we got to him, he turned and he cuffed us both, Jim and I. So we hit him back, and about that time, this jet plane went by, and it was so close, it blew us right over. Oh, my God. We rolled in the dirt, and we just left him and went back, and he's still walking down the runway. So the police ran out there, and now they're trying to handcuff him. (laughs) I'll kill you, you (laughs) (laughs) cook. they, They finally get him back to the plane, and they said, we can either put him on the plane with you, or we can lock him up for the night. And when they said lock up, he went bananas. So we said, okay, we'll, we'll put him in here. The pilot said, put him behind me. And we put two seat belts on him, one across here and here, so he couldn't lift his arms. <laughs> Good move. All the way back, he's looking at us. I'm going to kill you when I get out of here. <laughs> so, Mad dog. Oh. Brunzel gets pretty whipped up at telling those stories, too. Jimmy's such a good guy. Yeah. It's funny because I didn't know Jim was so political. Oh, yeah. He's a very He's political very guy. Political. He really, and he always has been, he said. And I didn't know that about him before. I, not that I care, you know, one way or the other. But I just never realized he was so involved in politics. Oh, he really is. He's uh, he's locked into Obama. <laughs> <laughs> he's locked into a where is he's over there somewhere <laughs> well you know jim uh i met him in college in 1967 at minnesota mm-hmm. and we had a he had a class they were doing a study he was doing a report on the kennedy assassination okay and he really got into it and i mean he was calling the government and the, the whole thing oh, god and pretty soon they had they told him he had to stop Really? Oh, yeah. He got some really nasty calls. 
You mean because he was coming in with conjecture? I guess so. I, <laughs> I don't know. I never wanted to get near him. <laughs> so he got calls asking him to stop doing he this? Stop doing it. He was kind of really? a warning. Yeah, you should ask him about it sometime. God, I should ask him about it. So, so basically he's just looking in the assassination of oh, JFK. Oh, he was looking. I mean, he was writing papers and he was. Oh, oh that's had, okay. You know, he had a lot of, lot of stuff and had talked to a lot of people. A lot of theories. A lot of theories. So was he a, was he a grassy knoll kind of guy? Yeah. No, he was more <laughs> of a conspiracy. Yeah. No, there was yeah. more of a conspiracy than that. It was what he thought. And, and based what on what? So what was the through. conspiracy? Why did they want to kill him? Uh, that I don't know. I never got into it with Jim. I'll ask Jim next time yeah, I see him. Yeah, have to ask him. Yeah, I mean, I mean I've always been interested in it, too. But, uh, no, they were – he was getting some getting some calls. God, that's amazing, isn't it? That is yeah, unbelievable. It's a good so get story. Call. You should. They should write a book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it in his book? I don't think so. I don't. He know. didn't put any of that. In his I don't book? think he did. I is haven't it? seen his book yet. I've read some of the, the the things that he's put in there, and it's 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 all basically about the personalities and the and the and the right. some of the stories. Now, we won't get deeply into this next one, but I see that your old friend and mine. Uh, Jesse Ventura is suing another. Oh, oh God, I saw that on TV today. Now he's suing some, the uh, the publisher. The publisher. Now it's their fault, too. I tried to call him today. I you called his call lawyer, Jesse? David Olson. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I was trying to get Jesse to come down for this thing Sunday. Oh, if I'm going to be there, he won't come. Won't he? Oh, God, no. Well, I don't think he'd come anyhow. No, he's but, like, there's no money in it for him. No. I need a personality. I mean, I mean we got good personalities, but they want a character. I try to get oh, Baron Von Raschke down there. Baron's a great guy. Isn't he? But he's got a, his granddaughter's got a uh, recital that day, the same time. Oh, really? Yeah. But we still have J.P. Parise. He's gonna, oh, he JP's said he's going to make wonderful. it. J.P. is a wonderful You know, guy. he's going through some tough times. Yeah, that's what I understand. He Zach said he's going to be there. Father. For for our younger audience, Zach Parisi's father, J.P. Parisi, is one of the funniest. <laughs> he's so funny as hell. Isn't he's he? amazingly funny guy. <laughs> Just a great guy. He's got all the stories in the world. Oh, I'm talking to him last week. He called me back. 45 minutes, he's on the phone nonstop. Oh, yeah. And he's, he's telling me. I, I, I said to him, I said, you know, I've been watching the wild here. Uh, what do you think of the coaching staff? <laughs> and he says, well... There is some good coaching. <laughs> there is some good coaching. And I said, well, and? He says, well, you know, I am watching them play Pittsburgh. He says, and Crosby's on the ice. Oh, yeah. And they put the fourth line out there against Crosby, and they score a goal. So I'm going, well, one time, a mistake. End of the first period, right near the end, Crosby's on the ice. The fourth line is out there. Crosby's line scores again. And I'm going, now, if I'm the coach, <laughs> this is starting to sink in now. That's JP. Second period, Crosby's on the ice, the fourth line again, a third goal. Honest to God. And he said, then in the third period again. Now I'm thinking to myself, there is some good coaching and there are some that's not so good. <laughs> as an as a onlooker, I am saying to myself, I know better than that. <laughs> as an onlooker, yeah, well... 
Now, JP, so he's going to be there on Sunday. He's saying, yep, hopefully he is. Uh, he, yeah. he said he wanted to be, so. I understand. Absolutely. Yeah, we got him and Lepresti, and you know how that goes. Oh, Lepresti's another great guy. Isn't he? Lepresti's another really, really good guy. <laughs> I can't, well, there's got to be some, one of your old compadres come down there from the wrestling world. Well, we've got a couple down there. I saw, uh, there's a, uh, Steve Allen narrated a special called the, the I think it was the Un... Unreal story of professional wrestling it came out in like 1998, oh, yeah. uh, and I thought it fascinating because everybody uh, was in that documentary mm-hmm. except for Jesse. Yeah, he was the only one of you guys that wasn't in that movie. There's yeah. a reason for that. <laughs> so what was it? I mean, unless you don't want to talk about it. Well, he just wasn't that well liked by his peers. That's what I understand from every guy I talked to. He yeah. just they didn't like him. No. I got along with him okay, but, you know, he was just a very into-himself, arrogant person. And not as good as he thought he was. Well, no, I mean, every wrestler I talked to said he was a terrible wrestler. Oh, he was, yeah. He was terrible. But he had Adrian in there, and Adrian really carried the match, and then Jesse came in when they had control of it. Yeah, and Jesse was a good commentator. Oh, God. He was very good at that. He He talked the people into the building. Yeah, he yeah. did. No, he, he got did. the people in the building, and, and, and you have to give him credit. He was one of the great talkers of all time. There's I mean, no he talked question. himself right into the governorship. Right into the governor's <laughs> mansion. I, I, one thing I, about that, uh, and again, Steve Allen was a great narrator anyway. He's no longer with us. But um, you look back now, and for our younger listeners, Greg's father, Vern Gagne, started the AWA. Uh, back in those days, wrestling had territories. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like it was a mob thing. They no. just had, they just had territories. It was pretty much like a it wasn't really a TV deal. It was just a territory. It was just a territory. And know. I don't know how they figure that out. What you got? I don't either. I know they had them. Uh, uh, my father started wrestling in 1949. Graduated in 48 right. from the university. Started in 49. Uh, they told him he was too small. He had one I match in Minneapolis with a. Abe King Kong Cashy. And in the front row was uh, Billy By, Jim Malosky, and Bud Grant, his three buddies. God. So at one point in the match, Cashy's kind of hammering on, on Vernon. The three of them jump up, and Cashy says, Sit down, punks. <laughs> and they all sat back down. <laughs> That's good. We'll sit back down. When you, when you look back now, I mean, what your father did was pretty amazing. It really was. Putting yeah. that together the way he put it together. Yeah. I mean, if you grew up in the Midwest, it was every Saturday night. It was uh, you would Sunday sit down, morning. And Sunday that. morning. Yeah. I mean, you would sit down on the TV. It was just a terrific thing. I know Jeff Passel, uh, he talked about the fact that he and his five brothers, after All-Star Wrestling, they were in their jockeys wrestling in the, in the bedroom. You know, everybody was wrestling. Oh, God, I hear that from more people, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It was just it was part of, of our lives as young boys and young men. And the great thing about it was when you would have guys like the Crusher or, you know, anybody like that had that certain – Delivery. Mm-hmm. Everybody would imitate it. Oh yeah. You know, there was even a song called "The Crusher." Yeah. We played that before, haven't we, Andy? I think so. The Crusher. How does it do? The yeah, Crusher do by. The crusher. Oh yeah, yeah, we did. Who yeah. does it do? The Crusher by. I can't remember the. the I think it was a local again. group. Here. It was a local yeah. group. Yeah. It was the Novas. The Novas. Oh. <laughs> Andy, you are quick. Unbelievable. You're what I do all day. What do you got, Andy? 
barrel out the barrel. There a lot is. of people are going to mistake me for Johnny Cash. <laughs> but I'm not Johnny Cash. I'm the crusher. Ray! Do the hammer lock. <laughs> yep. I do the hammer lock. No, i got to be honest with you. A kid from North Minneapolis, a lot of friends out in the Golden Valley area, Robbinsdale. A hell of a lot of wrestlers yeah. came out of Robbinsdale. You would go out with your buddies on a Saturday night, have a few beers, and it was all that. Yeah. that's what It was night, night after night, weekend after weekend. And I've talked to Greg about this before. Um, hanging out with the fellas. I'm talking about the professional wrestlers mm-hmm. now because I used to go to the gym with them a lot and get to know almost all of them and, you know, through the KQ Morning Show. But we and you and I have talked about this before, that you were sitting at the bar having a ball. God, we were having just a ball with these guys. But then all of a sudden there was just something in the air. It's time to go home. <laughs> you know, it's not going to be me, but somebody's going to get their ass kicked. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> I don't know who it's going to be. And it, it never failed. It never failed. No. And they wouldn't turn on their own friends, so I wasn't in any danger or anything. I just didn't want to be around to watch some stupid asshole, and that's what always happened. Some tough guy thought, well, I'm going to take on. Yeah. No, you're, you're not going to take these guys on. I'm sorry, but... Again, uh, my top weight was 341, and Mike Eggstrand, who was who was Hawk in the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, military pressed me in a hotel really? room in Orlando, Florida. No kidding. I was like, how is that even possible? <laughs> but back then, I mean, his biceps yeah. were as big as people's legs. Mm-hmm. They're just massively strong. <laughs> but for some reason, guys in bars thought, well, I'm going to take a run at him. It never what? failed. It never failed. It never failed. But, God, it was fun leading up to that. <laughs> I'll tell you who got picked on more than anybody, and I could never figure out why, was Larry the Axe Henning. Larry? And Larry is like 6'4", you know, 320 pounds. Oh, yeah. And he's telling a story. One day they're out at, uh, uh, God, what was the, the chalet out on Highway 55? Oh, yeah, the chalet. Sunday morning. On a 100. And, you know, a lot of people, Larry wasn't too well liked at that time. Larry pretty Oh, you mean the, by the public? Yeah. Yeah. So he's got his family, him. and they're going through the buffet line at the chalet, and this guy sure. starts giving them on a Sunday morning, giving oh, them crap. Oh, God. And Larry kind of, you know, he'd give them that look and, you know, <laughs> kind of knock out. <laughs> About three of those looks, and finally, he's near the end of the table, and he gets hit behind the head with a potato. Larry. Larry hit in the back of the head. Yeah, the guy threw a potato at him. Oh, my God. Well, that was the end of it. The kids and uh, his wife were there, and over he goes. He grabs the guy right through the door. Ba-boom, head first through the door and out in the street. I just, I'll, and this was on a Sunday morning. That was a Sunday morning. This is not Brunch. Saturday night at a bar drinking. No. No. What in the hell? A, a, I, I'll never understand. I understand when people got the liquid courage going. Yeah. Or as my friend Kendall calls it, the loud mouth <laughs> soup. <laughs> You're drinking the loud mouth soup, and everybody's a tough guy then all of a sudden. But a Sunday morning at a family buffet. I know. Isn't that something? It is something. I just, I mean, when you, back in the day, when you would go out, you and Jim maybe hanging out, well, there were always people running their mouths. Yeah. There was. Just, we had a, were. We had a couple. I mean, they just, they wanted to try you. 
why? And you know, I don't know. We had a we used to have some Wednesday night parties around town. Yeah, uh, we had a, a good friend George Carilla who was the bouncer out the left guard. Yeah, and uh, we would call him and say, "Hey, the party's at the Radisson South," and he'd ship them all over there. God, and Wahoo by them. <laughs> Wahoo McDaniels would make this punch oh, with uh, vodka, grapefruit juice, Everclear, and about a thousand bennies he'd throw in there. Into the punch. Into the punch. Okay. So we're, we're there one night, and Chuck Foreman is there. and I love Chuck. Oh, God. I love Chuck he Foreman. He comes in and I said, hey, Chuck, that punch, stay away from it. Right. Don't drink, you know, don't drink too much of that stuff. Well, Chuck drank two of them. Ooh. And he's standing against the wall, <laughs> staring. And he didn't move for two hours. I said, Chuck, you all right? And he just was staring. Nothing came out of him. But in the meantime, we had, there was two big bouncers that came in from one of the clubs downtown. And this one kid's about six foot five, almost 300. And he's, he's built. And he comes into the party. And we had just got out of the training camp. Mm-hmm. Rick Flair, Patera, Brunzel, myself, the Iron Sheik, and Bob Bruggers. Yeah, Iron Sheik. Oh, there's a movie out about the Sheik, though, you know. Is there really? Yeah, a movie came out. It's called The Sheik. Oh, my God. Oh, he was a nutcase. <laughs> Sorry, anyway, go he ahead. He started okay, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the I. Drugs got to him. That might be the case. Yeah. So, this big bouncer, there's one. Afro-American kid sitting there, a friend of ours, and the guy says, hey, I don't like you, and he grabs his shirt and tears it off. Just some guy. Yeah. And I'm only about 185 pounds, but just came out of the camp. We're pretty. And I said, hey, pal, this is, you know, a friend of ours. It's our party. You know, take a hike. (laughs) He says, you're going to make me? Oh, God. I said, you know what? You'd be better off kicking the crap out of me than my friends here, so let's go out in the hallway. So we go out in the hall, and he lifted his hand, and I hit him so quick. I didn't know I had this in me. Hit him on the chin. His legs crumbled. He went down, and his head hit the floor. His buddy went to hit me from the side. Red Bastine knocked him out. Another one came running down the hall. Billy Robinson clotheslined him, and the guy got up, and we said, Billy, our guys are down. And, boy, he beat the crap out of <laughs> Our guys are still out, man. But they laid there till 4 in the morning. Really? And I thought, oh, my God, we thought we'd killed the guy. Well, yeah, if a guy hits his yeah. head on the ground. But, uh, you know, we, we were really trained, and we didn't know really what we were. What we were yeah, what you were capable we of. Become. I mean, we were pretty raw. Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. Gagne on the best of. Coming up next, continuing on with the smackdown of clips, we had Jumpin' Jim Brunzel back on episode 560. Next on the best of. Well, Tom, I've been actually um, thinking and, and writing over about four and a half years, uh, just stories that happened to me and some of my buddies on the road. And I think of them and then write them down, or I talk into a dictaphone. And then uh, my wife has been helping me with this, and we've put together 
about 37 stories, and the name of the book is called Matlands. And uh, it's my uh, two-and-a-half-decade career telling uh, true stories from the wrestling uh, road. And I brought a couple, two or three of them. To sh- to just let you have, and you can oh, you can take a look at it. The first one is probably the most off colored ah, one. Read that one. Read that one. <laughs> well, it is the golden shower. And oh, and to be honest with you, um, I don't have an axe to grind with anybody. And uh, uh, there's why not? not? I there, like well, grinding axes. Nah, um, that doesn't get you anywhere. Well, I suppose. And then uh, I, I tried not to. Incorporate too much sex, drug, uh, drugs, and rock and roll because it's a part of society, and I think a lot of people have been overburdened with uh, that in various sports. And yeah, wrestling's no other, you know, do, no different than any other sport or sports entertainment. And we uh, had a different sort of band of gypsies that uh, traveled you did from town to town, and it was uh, pretty amazing. I mean, just taking along. Mad Dog Vachon was enough. You talk about a band of gypsies. Do you know that he opened up an airplane door? That's not yours. I know. I was just going to glance because <laughs> you're not reading it. To open up a well, door of an airplane? Is that what you yeah. started to say? Yeah, he opened yeah. up the door of an airplane while they were in flight. Were you on that flight? No, but I, I was blamed for that. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Can I tell you briefly I'd, real I'd, quick? I'd love it. Okay. <clears throat> we're in Omaha, Nebraska. We're, we're going to wrestle one night, and Mad Dog was... Sitting in the corner, he was a real strange cat. You know, he sort of looked like the Tasmanian devil, and he he, he was really different, but a wonderful guy and right. tremendous, brilliant in the ring. And uh, his son had been incarcerated in Montreal, his 19-year-old son. Mm-hmm. So Mad Dog was going to fly from Omaha to Minneapolis and then get in the car and drive to Montreal and then drive back after he took care of the situation mm-hmm. with his son. So in the locker room, and you, you have to realize that back in the early 70s, before we used to fly everywhere, we drove everywhere. So a lot of guys oh, were God. taking Dexedrine, you know. And so I had a couple of Dexedrine 15-milligram time-release spaniels. And Mad Dog came up to me, and he said, Jim, he said, you have any speed? And I said, yes, I do. I <laughs> Well, yes, I do. <laughs> I, do. <laughs> I do, as a matter of fact. So I gave him two of these spaniels, and I said, Maurice, I said, you take one when you get to Minneapolis and for your drive to Montreal, and then take the other one on your way back. He said, okay. So he was nipping a little uh, Southern Comfort, and he. this is what That's I found out. Hell. After he had, he had taken both of them. And drank a pint of Southern oh Comfort. Was on the plane talking with Adrian Adonis, who his real name was Keith Franks. So they're sitting at the back of the plane, and it's a seven-passenger Navajo chieftain. And Maurice was becoming more agitated and agitated, talking about his son who's in jail. So Adrian Adonis gave him a quaalude. Oh my God! Oh my God. Oh. So he took the quaalude and washed it down with uh, uh, some whiskey. <laughs> And about 15, 20 more minutes, uh, Adrian didn't realize how bad off Maurice was. And he said to Maurice, he said, if it's so bad, why don't you jump out the plane? So he opened the door and threw his bag out, and they were at 6,000 feet flying at about 195 (laughs) miles an hour. How did that really happen? It's a non-pressurized plane. Right. The door opened. Holy crap. So so what happened was, thank God we had a, a, a... Northwest Orient pilot 
scared to death, circled around, cut the speed back, and landed in South Dakota, and then kicked kicked Maurice off the plane. Got to get off the plane. So I man. get a I get a call at eight o'clock in the morning that said. Jim, you're supposed to come down and see Vern right away. So I had no idea because okay. I I refused to fly the son of a bitch because it was a flying coffin. So, oh, absolutely! You know, you fly at six thousand feet, and None so to me. make a long story short, I come into the wrestling office and Vern says, "God damn you!" And I said, "What's the matter?" And he says, "You almost killed everybody." And I said, "What do you mean? I almost killed him?" He said, "Well, you gave Mad Dog two doggone pills." And I said, "Yeah, I gave him the pills." He said he wanted to drive to Montreal, mm-hmm. and then he explained to me what happened. And so, to make a long story short, that was one tale of Maurice Vachon. I did not know he threw his. Bag. I knew he opened the door, but I didn't know he threw his bag. Yeah, I guess he never found that bag, did he? Probably not. No. Probably didn't find the bag. There wasn't much in it. Probably a couple empty bottles and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Is that is that story in the book? Uh, yes, it is. It is great. Yeah. And in the book's called Matt Lands. Matt Lands. Right? M-A-T. M-A-T-L-A-N-D-S. I've, I wrote a song called Matt Lands in 1982. And then Springsteen stole it. No. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I got permission to use his music oh, from Bad yeah. Okay. All so right. I wrote it, and I had... Uh, I, I don't know how many copies. I think I made a thousand copies. And it was a picture disc. It had a picture right, of me on it. Right. And then the, the lyrics were pretty much close to Badlands, except I made it to wrestling, you know. Right. Uh, there was uh, one little uh, lyric in there. I, I said, I don't want to be rich. I just want to be free in the wrestling world. That's a curse to me because you can never be free in the wrestling world because you're always indebted to the promoter. Yeah, well, that's a fact. And, and I mean, that's that, a, that, just about anything. That came. That became a, a real issue with, uh, with um, like, Figures, the little dolls, and all that stuff. That I know the WWE or the WWF at that time mm-hmm. had a huge problem with that because they were making all the money off of merchandising and not giving any to the wrestler. Well, we had a That's lawsuit. Nice. Uh, yeah, you had a lawsuit. Brian, right? Brian Blair, my killer re partner, <clears throat> right, and I right. finally uh, sued my dear friend Vince McMahon. Uh, <laughs> and after you loving Vince, are you? After about four years of. Uh, you know, interrogatories and pushing back and everything. We oh, finally, God. the day before we were going to go to trial, he settled out of court. Oh, he did? Yeah, but according to, see, we signed a <clears throat> a contract. It was sort of a blank contract, and it said that you were going to get 23% of the growth, gross profits at, uh, outside yeah. of wrestling. He paid us 8% of the net. Yeah. That's what it turned out to be. 8% of the net rather than 23% of the growth. Yeah. Yeah, that's these guys. And he's, unbelievable. you know, he's didn't having his some wife, problems. Didn't his wife just spend like an, uh, an yeah. obscene amount of money running for the U.S. Senate? Yeah, thirty million dollars. Thirty million in, bucks. In two right. tries. Oh, that's right. She tried twice. Yeah, oh, yeah my I do remember God. that. And actually, Linda is a, a very uh, intelligent, articulate, mm-hmm. uh, nice woman. I mean, I got along better with her than I did Vince. And Vince, no, Vince took it over from his dad, didn't he? Mm-hmm. And how was his dad? His dad was a wonderful guy. I never oh, met him, but okay. for all the guys that have ever uh, mentioned Vince McMahon Sr., they said he was the most honest promoter in the cities. Really? Uh, throughout the USA at that time. Hey, where's Greg, by the way? I thought Greg was coming with you. Well, usually Greg never misses an opportunity <laughs> <laughs> to talk. I know, but I waited out there, and I, I, he told me 1.30, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, 1.30. Oh, it's too probably, bad because I'd like to see Greg. I would Crazy too. You know, we we talk to each other, and you know, he's been working on this uh, production of a right. reality show. And right. It's, I mean, is he going to do it? Well, 
I think we're going to do it, but it's just a matter it's tough. of it's, it's, it's tough, tough because business. you have to have the, your own money. Otherwise, nobody will want to. That's exactly right. You know, it's hard. There's so many people out there that, yeah, it's a great idea, Greg. It's a great idea, but you need 60 grand to come up with for a yeah. sizzle reel. <clears throat> no, that's exactly right. So he's still working on that thing. It's good because mm-hmm. he really wants to do it. It's a great idea, actually. It's a really good idea. Well, it is because some of the stories. Uh, that happened in wrestling are just uh, people don't believe them, but they're true. You know, the, and it's the easiest job in the world. I mean, I, I cannot think of a job that's easier than being like a sideline reporter on the NFL Sunday night games. I, I would agree. I do, mean, you, like do, the, do, you, do you know what the temperature was <laughs> yeah. during the game? That's right. I bet you it was a little chilly. Huh? Oh. I just wonder how much prep do you go through for each week? I started. Right. I started on the flight home. Prep. It's yeah. every single day. What yeah. prep? Well, they, they got to know what to say. God. It's uh, it's a lot. Just ad lib. No, there's Just no get such out there thing. And go, hey, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bay. Hey, Bay. I'm gonna start calling the athletes Bay. Hey, see what Bay. They They'd probably be like, Bay. Okay. What's up, Bay? God, one of these days, and not, obviously not on the air, but one of these days, I'm gonna find out who the biggest jerk in the NFL is from you. You are, huh? Yeah, eventually. Well, I mean, according to you. According to me. Hmm. We were talking about the NBA this morning. You want to talk about some assholes. Those guys. I think they're in every sport. I think they're in every industry. Is it because of the the, the coddling they've always gotten? Uh, See, I think that's a huge part of it. I think it is. Because from the time you show any promise at athletics from a young age, you are deemed special, unique. You maybe even are are route out of this life into the next. And oftentimes it's not just your immediate family. It's a whole extended group of people that are counting on you and building you up every single day and not letting any of the criticism seep through. So your picture of yourself is pretty high. But I see I, in general... Uh, going through the sports. First of all, the hockey guys are all nice guys, except for one. Uh, Brad Hall's a prick. Uh, he's not, well, he <laughs> wow, is. He's, there he, we go. Oh, he's not a good guy. Okay. Well, I, I've never had any problem with, with telling people to their face, you're an asshole. Oh. I've never had any problem with that at all. I dread the day you tell me that. So far, so good. Okay, so <laughs> that's anyway, the one in hockey. The one in hockey, because all, all the other hockey guys are nice people. Okay. Wrestlers have always been nice. I can't name one guy I thought was a jerk. In Can wrestling. you? You would know everyone. You know, <laughs> now when they were wrestling, afterward maybe a little different with Jesse, but when he was wrestling, he was a good guy. Yeah, I think I think Jesse was accepted as one of the guys, but he, Jesse was a total loner. Yeah, he he, yeah. he never associated with anybody. And he's a terrible wrestler, actually, he was well, a, good, a he, good performer, he, but he, a terrible wrestler. He was an excellent interviewer. Yeah, oh god, and he, he was looked great the part. But yep. to be honest with you, he was a little clumsy and yeah. unathletic he in was. the ring. He was absolutely, you know, and he was a little tentative that he w- he might get hurt, but uh, he was incredible because every word that he said, he believed, whether it was true or yeah, not. He did. He believed it, <laughs> so that's why he was such I a think great that marketer. Continues today. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so wrestling, I never had any problem with any wrestling. Nick Bockwinkle, I remember one time uh, when I was working at WDGY, there was a there was a. Uh, wrestling, uh, this goes way back. I mean, long, long time ago. So, like, the Baron would call in. He'd go, hey, Tom. Uh, i go, okay, well, just I'll count it down from three, and then you do your deal. And so he would launch into his Baron Von Raschke, and you know, it would be great. <laughs> so a lot of guys. So Nick Bockwinkle. Hi, Tom. I said, hi, uh, hi, Nick. Yeah, Nick Bockwinkle. I said, yeah, Nick. He goes, no, it's Nick Bockwinkle. I said, okay, Nick Bockwinkle. I'll count it down from three, and then you can do your deal. What deal? 
I said, well, you know, whatever you're going to talk about, your deal. I don't have a deal. I am Nick Bachwin. I don't have a deal. I swear to God, it was unbelievable. But it was not a bad guy. It was Bachwinkle. Um, And then let's see. Baseball, in general, really good guys. In general. The the hitting instructor for the Twins is an arrogant prick, but other than that, Tom Bernanski, he's just an arrogant asshole. I mean, I've told him that before. What? Why are you laughing about that? Because uh, I could, I have no such freedom, so I'm kind yeah, of that's like, right. you, you I don't have, have no such I, I, I guess that. Yeah. You don't have that. Do you know Paul? Mo- yeah. Molitor very well? Molitor, I don't know him really well, but yeah. he's a very nice guy. He is a, he is nice a good guy. guy. Yeah, Molitor's Paul a really nice Paul is a nice guy. man. He's a huge Bruce fan, too. Uh, almost every yeah. every show I've been to, he's always been back there with Bruce. So. Oh, yeah, I could see that. So, in the NFL, in general, the people that I've I've gotten to like, you know, the Dave Huffmans of the world and and Jeff Christie, uh, John Alt, uh, you know, Mike Moore, they're nice people. Yeah. The NFL players tend to be nice people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Philip Wise is a jerk, but no. Aside from that. I love Philip. <laughs> but the NBA is totally different. I, I cannot decide who is a bigger jackass, whether it was Tom Gugliotta or uh, Kevin Garnett. Just jerks. You know, it's so interesting, too, because I think it depends on some people they treat very well and some they don't. And so it's but but that that implies a certain amount of disingenuousness because, you know, if you're you and you like yourself and you like people, chances are you're going to be good to just about everyone. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, Um. So that's really interesting. But I, I also think the thing about the NBA that's unique mm-hmm. is five guys on the court at one time. So mm-hmm. one guy, like Garnett, can change an entire franchise no and yep. can be the franchise and by virtue of that becomes immediately just this super huge star. Yes. To whom much is uh, on whom much is you know they rely on you a lot and then you, they depend on you and then they give you a lot too mm-hmm. and baby you and coddle you and yeah. No, we've had two neighbors from in the NBA. We've had two baseball players. Tory Hunter was my neighbor and and so was uh, what the hell was his name? Johan Santana. Mm-hmm. And then Johan Santana sold his house to Al Williams from the Timberwolves. And Al was a very nice man. Mm-hmm. And then Luke Ridnour moved into the neighborhood. Just a terrific guy. Mm-hmm. Those guys were terrific. All four of them were just nice guys. I didn't get to know Johan very well or Tori, but they were nice when you'd see him. But some of these guys, it's just it's just so bizarre. It's like, yeah, you're one. Like Kevin Love. What a douche. It's such a shame, too, because honestly, these people have this platform. Right, right. Where they are interacting with youth, and they can be these great mm-hmm. examples, and... I feel like a lot of them just waste it. Now, you're both from the sports world. Did Kevin Love think when he was going to Cleveland that he was going to be the center of attention? No. Because he's already saying he's leaving. He's already going to opt. He's already said, I'm opting out. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, this, he announced it today that he's because they're not giving him the ball enough, he's going to opt out of his contract at the end, at of, the end of the year. At the end of the year. You're going to play with LeBron James in Cleveland, and right. you thought you were going to be the go-to guy. Well, I mean, hold, come on. How many games have they, have like they played? Five. <laughs> no, and you haven't got played. the ball enough? You know, you, you guys don't even know each other yet, no, really. No, But you're never going to be the guy in Cleveland with LeBron James on the court. No, it's not. never going to happen. 
Well, that's I just, just strange. I just, it's just, he's a bizarre human. I did see something funny that he did once, though. Alex was there, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was funny. Was it three years ago, four years ago? Four, I think. Nick Swardson and Vince Vaughn are in town doing that the Wild West comedy show. So there, we have... We go to a party at the Chambers Hotel. We're all kind of hanging out, and Alex's friends ogling Vince Vaughn. It was embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> she was. But in any case, Kevin Love was coming to the party, and we were down in the lobby of the hotel. And Kevin Love's about 6, 11, mm-hmm. something like that. And an ice storm had begun, and he slipped onto the ice. And he went about seven feet in the air yeah, it was and then great. crashed to oh, the ground. It was just... Yeah. <laughs> hey, oh, my hey, gosh. Hey, professional wrestler did that uh, 24 hours a day, seven days. <laughs> that was, that was not, not what I had. It's funny. I want to mention the Hulk Hogan, too. I don't know if you ever met Terry Bollea. Not a bad guy. Okay. But yeah. he can be a real jackass to other people, too. I well, know that. you know... Can I mention just a little you bit about say him? whatever okay. you want. Well, you know, when he came here in 1982, he had just made that Rocky IV movie. With right. Stove- uh, Stallone. Stallone. Stallone, yeah. And uh, he was sitting sort of on the top of the world. And actually, he learned an awful lot being in the AWA with guys like Nick Bach, yeah, Uncle and Vernon and everything. And I got to tell you, I, he was real quiet. I mean, he was a real quiet guy and, and <clears throat> never was... It never was any problem, and I remember bringing him over to my house. Mm-hmm. I said, "I'd like to bring you over, and you know, we'll have a nice uh, steak dinner, etc." So, and he didn't drink; he, he'd ha- he'd have coke or mm-hmm. had tea. So, I brought him downstairs, and we were wa- they were watching TV. And my little son Jimmy, who was then he was about two and a half or three years old, uh, was sitting down looking at Hulk and ogling how big he was and everything. So I said to Terry, I said, I'm going to go upstairs. And I said, I'm going to cook the dinner. So I said, let me know if you need need anything. So about maybe half an hour later, I come downstairs with some more hors d'oeuvres. And my son, Jimmy the Third, is sitting on Hulk's lap. And my son had taken these little cheese squares and kept putting him in Hulk's mouth. And Hulk's mouth was like this. And he said to me, don't tell your son I don't want any more of this cheese. You know? And Hulk's mouth was completely full of cheese. But uh, Now, there's a the guy who changed. Yes, he did. He did change. You know, That's very true. And he, you know, in 1985, I have this Sports Illustrated. They had a great big picture of Hulk, big facial picture, and it had a headband. It said Hulkster. And it said, Sports Top Banana. He made... $10 million yeah. that year, and yeah. he was the highest-paid sports figure. <clears throat> unbelievable. That is unbelievable. Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. I am a real American. Fight for the rights of every man. I am a real American. Fight for what's right. Fight for your Jumping Jim Brunzel on the best of finishing out this absolutely raw episode of the best of. We go to one of the all time greats, Jim Ross, JR, back from episode 860. Next on the best of.
WWE Hall of Famer Jim Ross, the new voice of Access TV's host series, New Japan Wrestling, play-by-play commentary along, uh, being alongside NJPW veteran and former UFC heavyweight champion Josh Barnett. That's a hell of a team you got there, Jim. Huh? Jim. I'm here, but I can't hear you because of the damn music. Oh, there you go. Oh, well, who had the music on? We don't have There's a joke on here, me. <laughs> no, no, I, Jim, Jim, I can't, I can't hear the music. I know what happened. What happened? It's probably fine now. Okay. So you can hear now, Jim, right? Beautiful. Serena, I'm sorry, wonderful. <laughs> Serena, <laughs> wonderful. The tones of Tom Bernard, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, thank you very oh, much, Jim. No. Great. Now he's going to be all filled. Great, with to, <laughs> great to be here, um, <laughs> Jim. I got to tell you, uh, we just—I was just talking about you and Josh Barnett working together as a hell of a team. That's a great team, as a matter of fact. He makes me uh, look good, which takes some doing at this stage of my life. <laughs> and he's also very intelligent. And I think our, our broadcast will be a... Now, somebody are going to roll their eyes on this, what I'm about to say, and that's cool. I think we're going to have a smart pro wrestling broadcast. I think we're going to not insult your intelligence. I think we're going to call what you're seeing and embellish on that, like calling a ball game. And uh, that'd be like... Adrian Peterson carrying a ball, and you're talking about the price of hot dogs on the second level concession stand. It doesn't make any sense. It's a disconnect. So I, uh, I think that that's what we're going to do on Friday night, and I think folks are going to notice a difference and like it. Well, I, I tell you what, I, I often tell a story, Jim. And again, uh, while you were hearing music, I was talking about you being a WWE Hall of Famer, and I did. I want to mention something very quickly. One of your old compadres. Well, I don't know about that, but. Um, Bernie Sanders is in town today in Minnesota, plugging for votes, and Jesse Ventura uh, offered his endorsement, and Bernie Sanders said, no thanks. <laughs> is <laughs> really? that true? Oh, really? <laughs> that, yes. That's a true it's story. True. Oh it's a true gosh. story. Jesse said, well, listen, I'll endorse you for running for president. <laughs> and, and Bernie Sanders said, no, that's okay, Jesse. I don't, I don't want your endorsement. <laughs> Poor Jesse. Poor that's Jesse. Funny. I know. He's not a very nice person. Not uh, these days. I not know to me. Not to me ever. Oh, he's oh he's always been a jerk to mo- most people. Yeah. He he and I got along for a while until he became governor, and then it I don't know it kind of blew up after. Then that, he was the man, and Tom didn't like him. He was my broadcast yes. partner for a while. Uh, I remember that. Yeah. And I uh, I have admitted, and I'll talk about it this Friday night on the Voice Versus as this big one hour interview that the Access is doing with me with Michael Chavallo. He asked me about why Jesse Ventura and I weren't more successful as a team because at that point in time some fans thought it was like a quote unquote dream team you know Jesse the body coming yeah, to WCW yep. and teaming with me and all that good stuff and quite frankly I didn't get along with him well it was basically my ego getting in the way of common sense I was a little bit uh, miffed that he was getting three times my salary and I was doing about mm. four times the work uh, but that was my problem, and I admitted my problem, and so we underachieved. But I didn't ever hate him. I also did XFL football with him for a while. I remember uh, so, that too. Yeah. You know, he's he's this kind of guy. You, you you can't get too wrapped up in his his beliefs. They are his opinions. So you let him have his opinion, and it doesn't mean you got to buy into it. I, I I I had a lot of political conversations with him that were not endorsed. Like he loved the conspiracy theory stuff all the way back when oh, we were yeah. doing wrestling. He's a very oh, God, unique yeah. guy, very intelligent. But we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things, and I'll take the blame for that. Well, Michelle Tafoya, who's with us right now, speaking of football, of course, Michelle 
does NBC Sunday Night Football. She's a sideline reporter uh, for that that fabulous, the highest rated show on television. As a matter of fact, now have you ever met Jim Ross, Michelle? Uh, Jim, have we met in person? We might have met at a ball game somewhere down the road. Michelle, I've always enjoyed your work, and I think you guys do a great job. I'm a I'm a regular viewer on Sunday nights. I can tell you that. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Now, Michelle, you said that Jesse was ne- has never been nice to you. Jesse, no. No, he I didn't I he, didn't know that. What, he ripped why was me, he, he well, he ripped me on the air as a sideline reporter saying that I could know nothing about football because I never played the game and he said Cheryl Miller covering the NBA is fine cuz she played the game but someone like Michelle Tafoya yada yada. So as he's on the air on K-Fan <laughs> ranting about me, I called in and they put me on with him and I I took him on and he backpedaled 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 and then I hung up and he got back on the air and said what a joke Michelle Tafoya blah blah blah. So he wouldn't <laughs> say to my face what he would say, you know what I mean? It was just, oh, and so I've never appreciated him. That's the that, Michelle. That's the the latent traits of a pro wrestling villain. No, <laughs> the heel. <laughs> you tr- and you cheat to gain your advantages, yeah. and then you deny the culpability of your transgressions. I see. That's a that's great wonderful. wrestling villain. And so that's what he. That's the, you got the pro wrestling villain treatment, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, it, it it didn't uh, didn't sit too well with me. Jim, I have to. I have to tell you that uh, going all the way back in, uh, in my life, I remember watching professional wrestling. Of course, Vern Gagne had the AWA in town here for many, many years, and that goes back uh, since before I was born. But as a child, sitting watching uh, Saturday Night Wrestling, it was just such a thrill for me. Because For some reason, why do you think this is, Mr. Ross, that professional wrestling on TV seems so accessible to everybody? Like, like people can convince themselves, even though it's not true, they can convince themselves, maybe I could be a professional wrestler. <laughs> There's a connection there, you know what I'm saying? Well, I think, uh, Tom, that it's just, I grew up as a wrestling fan because it was we had three channels on our television, and I was the only child. I lived on a 160-acre farm in eastern Oklahoma, so I spent a lot of time by myself, so I was reading. I had a, my pal was a transistor radio. Uh, I read, I watched TV, I would do my chores. But I liked heroes and villains. Everything right. seemed to center around the basic fundamental of good versus evil. I had no problem with that, and I still like it today, even though some wrestling organizations seem to think that's too old school. But good versus evil is something that we all encounter in some shape, form, or fashion every day in our life. Uh, you know, the, the visiting team on a, at an NFL game are the villains, by and large. Yes, and the yes, home team absolutely. are the fan favorites. Duh. And so you play off that dynamic to create rivalries. And, it, you know, I'm a Steelers fan. So I, every, anybody that, the Steelers in Cincinnati, the Steelers and the Browns, that's a big deal in our household because I'm married to a nice Italian lady from Pittsburgh. I <laughs> there you go. Moment, and I eat her cookie. I'm damn sure going to support the Steelers. I pro- I'm, not, I'm smarter than I look, thank God. <laughs> I love that. Evil that's... is part of the crux of a lot of that stuff. And the storylines were easy to follow. Uh, it was episodically produced. Yep. Uh, it was local. They were talking about things going on in your market. So all those things contributed to the success of, of that of the genre that's been on since on TV since the early 50s. You know what I love, Jim, is back in that. Is there an element of that in New Japan Pro Wrestling also? I mean, obviously, there you got the heels and the good guys, but but is I guess the well, interview the, part the of it. Product, yes, has... has, uh, has uh, fan favorites and villains, but 
the line is not as pronounced as it used to be back in the day. Mm-hmm. When Vern Gagne was competing against, say, uh, superstar Billy Graham, mm-hmm. Vern was the fan favorite, and Billy Graham was the <clears throat> overbearing villain. No uh, question. The line has been erased a little bit uh, on, on that thing, I, I, I believe, Tom, because New Japan has rivalries. And right. it's more realistic. It's more believable because they have rivalries for logical reasons as opposed to having somebody in an outlandish costume and he's a villain and you're over the top with it and you're, you're, everybody's watching is rolling, eyeball rolling. They, they present it a little bit more sane, to be honest with you. And I found it extremely refreshing because we sat down with Josh Barnett, who was the youngest USC heavyweight champion, and we approach it. And again, another eyeball rolling opportunity here. We approach it like it was real. We approach it <laughs> right. like it was legitimate sport because we didn't want to insult the talent and we didn't want to insult the fans who are taking the time to watch it because that's what they want. They don't want to be uh, they don't want to be duped. They want to have fun and suspend their disbelief and get lost in the story. And that's what we're trying to accomplish. And that's exactly what it is: a suspension of disbelief. In that, one of my favorite parts is. It, Back in the day, whether it was, uh, you know, doesn't matter, AWA or WCW or back, back it was known in the WWF back then. But um, the interview part of it, when these guys would come out, uh, and not necessarily all of them in outrageous costumes, but it was, let me just tell you something. If this doesn't change, I'm going to call my attorney F. Lee Bailey. and. <laughs> I happen to know the President of the United States, and I'm going to get uh, George W. Bush in here. I loved that part of it as a kid, you know, the the outrageous interviews. But then lately, I watch the interviews on on some of the broadcasts, and they're just so far over the top that that it's hard to to suspend that disbelief. Well, let me tell you, here's the problem with today's interviews. They're scripted. They're scripted. They are, right. You're giving your promo the day you get, the afternoon you get to TV, and you're given a three or four minute promo to memorize, mm-hmm. maybe longer than five minutes. And then you go out in front of a live audience with no net, you're expected to deliver that promo with uh, perfection. And, you know, Michelle does a great job, because, but she's thinking, of, she's, she's our own copywriter. It's coming out of her mind. She feels it and she, and she relays the information. These guys don't have the opportunity to be themselves. So they're they're a, they're an imaginary character yeah. that creative right. is giving them, and then they're giving a script, and then they're given the dawning task of memorizing their script, and then going out on live television and reciting it. And I I would say that that's not a good system. That's a system that's bound to produce less than desirable results. What you heard and what I heard when we were younger uh, was ad libs. It was extemporaneous speaking. Guys would get bullet points from their boss. They'd go out and put it in their own words, and that was what the magic. That's where the magic came from. There's no no question about it, and I loved it. It was the only time I'll tell you something, Mister Ross. The only time I ever got along with my my uh, father's father, my grandfather, my father's side. The only time I ever got along with him was sitting watching wrestling with him on Saturday afternoon or Saturday, early Saturday evening. Other than that, that gives you something. I, I that's that's not a bad. That's a pretty good win right there. That's, that's abs- a good win, I think, uh, Tom. That's exactly you correct. That's exactly right. right. That's I, I exactly right. Thing. I was I would watch wrestling on Saturday nights. It came on at ten thirty. It was the, it, the the local news was the lead in, and in that market, wrestling got bigger ratings than the the local news. It's all 
And so <laughs> I would watch with my grandparents. So I would sit through Gunsmoke and Perry Mason. And then oh. the news would come on, and my grandmother would would make vanilla ice cream, and she'd pop open a can of Hershey syrup in the can and pour that <laughs> chocolate syrup over that vanilla ice cream. So for 30 minutes, we would have ice cream break. So I never got to I, freeze. I had 30 minutes to eat my ice cream. Then at 10.30, the wrestling came on. At 11.31, I was in bed. So that yeah, one night a week, was it meant a lot to me. I got to spend time with my grandparents. I stayed up late. Uh, we loved the soap opera, the wrestling. My granny, even when I started doing it, my granny firmly believed that the moonwalk was fake and pro wrestling was real. <laughs> oh, my God. I, <laughs> I love her. I didn't have she the heart to tell her otherwise. Why should I? She was uh, why should you? And she liked it. So I, I liked her liking it. And so <laughs> I got those memories of my grandparents, thanks to pro wrestling, believe it or not, that uh, I'll always have a debt to pro wrestling for because I, those are memories that I will cherish till the day I die. Oh, that's sweet, though. That's really sweet. There is no yeah. question about it. And one thing I have to tell you, Jim, because you can see Jim Ross once in a while wearing a cowboy hat. You can catch that once in a while. So one thing I've always admired about Bum Phillips, when he was at a home game down in the old, uh, you know, the old Houston Oilers, at a home game, he would never wear his cowboy hat indoors. He said, I don't wear hats indoors. Oh. Right. I admired that. Yeah, I, I really it. did admire his character. I love that. His mama taught him better. He'd say, my mama taught me never to wear my hat in the house. She wouldn't let me wear it in her house, so I'm not going to wear it at work. Uh, I, unfortunately, <laughs> have violated that rule of Bum Phillips, uh, not because I don't uh, admit to the, his, the truth in the uh, hat in the sure. house deal, but I was going to show business environment, and that's what the yeah, boss well, wear. That was that was Jr.'s, uh, uh, you know, stereotype of, of, of an Oklahoman. So now I wear the hat. I go to all the OU games. I'm on the sideline with the team, and you, you can just look around. And somebody said there's a nice uh, about me. Uh, if they see a black hat on the sideline of an OU game, they take a shot. I don't endorse that. <laughs> <laughs> No, you were, you were speaking of JR. I want to know where I can get JR's BBQ, JRSBARBQ.com. Where can I get some of that uh, our, our, barbecue our, our sauce? Business, our condiment business is growing. It's a, my mom always wanted people to eat her cooking. So mom made the, the barbecue sauce from scratch. My wife has been able to replicate it. So we haven't made a factory here in Oklahoma City. And uh, we make barbecue sauce, chipotle ketchup, which is sweet and smoky. And we make uh, also make uh, uh, jalapeno honey mustard called Main Event Mustard. It's got one gram of sugar and one carb. Ugh. Really good. And like uh, we got them on, online at www.shop.com. I just got cleared uh, 200 plus grocery stores in the southeast. Called and uh, it's called so, what? Yeah. Oh, we missed you. It cut out a little bit. Uh, Ingles Markets, I-N-G-L-E-S, but www.shop.com is where everybody can get it in North America and have it delivered to your house. And we appreciate the uh, the consideration for that, quite frankly. Well, I'll tell you what, I can't wait to try it. Jim, you've always been, I've, I've enjoyed your work uh, right along, we're probably close to the same age, but I've enjoyed your work all, uh, all my watch in life. I love the way you approach it. And Josh Barnett is a hell of a catch, too. You two together uh, got to be terrific and if you're on it i'll watch it so i'll be watching new japan pro wrestling i can guarantee you that on access tv that's very nice of you very nice of you uh tom i appreciate it very much 
And Michelle, it was really fun being able to say hello to you on the phone. Uh, likewise, right back to you. I, you know what? You, you, everything about you. All I need to know is that you take your hat off when you go indoors. I have newfound respect for you, sir. <laughs> Seriously, that's there beautiful. Well, Jim, I, I, I want to wipe my feet. <laughs> <laughs> Even better, oh, just racking up the points. <clears throat> yeah. Jim, Jim, I want to reach out to you once in a while, check in on New Japan Pro Wrestling, if I could. I'd love to have you back on. Oh, anytime, anytime. I'd love to visit with you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your time today. Okay. Jim Ross, Access TV's New Japan Pro Wrestling. He is so good at that. Yeah, A.K.A. J.R. You talk about Also known as J.R., that's yes, right, Jim. Mostly J.R. J.R.'s barbecue sauce. <laughs> what do you say, WWEshot.com? Yeah. Talk about uh, a gold mine. They are going to make a fortune on this. Seriously? I was looking through some of the pictures right. uh, in Japan, <clears throat> and they have uh, the wrestlers... Uh, all in their regalia. Uh, one guy's laying on his back, and they have a Japanese uh, ref. I think it's good. they yeah. love that sort of spectacle in Japan. Uh, the, the wrestling itself, they, oh. they, look, they look actually love like, they have good uh, skill too. These guys, like some of these moves, they're doing are pretty tough. And, and he said something. Yeah. Uh, he said something about the the fact that you know these guys uh, have to be themselves. You know, if you look at the combination of being an actor. And the athleticism that goes into this. I mean, these guys really have an incredible talent. You know, whether there's or not no the sport or not, whether or not it, there's an element of, uh, uh, of, I don't know what to call, uh, less than. But when you when you when you that, that sort of you know it's, it, whether it's fake or not or whether you think it's it's not real right. that's not important. I mean the entertainment piece of it is an exceptional thing, and these guys really should be commended. All of them. And when you think back, I mean they all have had this great personality and this great uh, ability to be great acrobats. It's great. It's starting to resemble the GOP. Oh, hey. oh, oh. isn't it? Yeah, they don't have what to do you think really. Oh. The GOP's only really Trump is the only wild card. Oh no, card no, no! There. They're all calling each other names now. Well, that's and, how it's um, always been, though. Uh, Attack <laughs> ads and everything. He's brought it to a different level. That is for sure. Yeah, um, it's gotten really nasty. All of a sudden, uh, Trump's a KKK sympathizer, uh, Nazi yeah, sympathizer. It's just gotten that's out sad. there. Well, the, I was pro Rubio until he started doing that, and now I'm pro nobody. Doing yeah, what? Hitting Getting back? down in the dirt. Nah, he's been down in the dirt too. He really upset me by, by with all his name calling. Getting down in the dirt with mm-hmm. all the other pigs. Yeah, that bothered me. I liked him until he did that. Yeah. What, now at this what, point, I'd rather just have no. What did he say president. exactly that bothered you all so the much? The spray tan thing and the small hands means he has a small penis. Yeah, that, really. He never on. uttered the word penis. I know he didn't. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. These clips absolutely took it off the top rope on yet another episode of the Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast, brought to you, as always, by Bradshaw and Bryant. Great clips this week from Greg Gagne, Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, and Jim J.R. Ross. Thanks for listening, everybody, and you will... See you next week.